0: you will have gains where it's in the tens of millions but it's not necessarily long term in nature it will turn over you're listening to the
1: right club podcast where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com and now your hosts sarah larby and alfonso Salemi. Welcome back, Right Club Nation, to another episode of the podcast. It's Alfonso here with Sarah Larby. How's it going, Sarah?
2: It's going well. It's going well. What about you?
1: Not too bad. Not too bad. At the uh, at the time that we're recording this, this is we're in the midst of it all, and we're going back and forth talking about the economy, but uh, there is the the coronavirus, the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, so yeah, a lot of things are changing. We're talking about the economy. We're talking about life unexpected things um, how have you been first of all
2: you know what this is actually like for us we do a lot of these podcasts we do a lot of webinars so we always have done a lot of meetings on zoom prior so my, my full-time job right now um, they've banned all actual in-person meetings until the, the next 15 days so I'm I'm working from home um and to be honest i mean it is what it is like we're all doing it together we're all in this together no need to panic um you know it's uh it's going to come and it's going to go and it's going to probably make a little dent in the economy and at some point five ten years later we're going to look back at it and it's not going to be that big of a deal it sucks right now we'll see what happens with the economy it'll probably dip for the short term um but just like 2008 just like whatever other recession that we're going to hit we'll come out of it and uh and we'll come out stronger with more knowledge and information and that's what i believe in and at the end of the day if we've got to be in quarantine for a couple of weeks to help then so be it right
1: yeah that that is that is the important part and it does happen and if we look at the history of of the economy and cycles there are always these different things and different reasons why so Um, but like you said, I feel like we in a way have been prepared for it because we do, you know, I know a lot of our meetings, even just with our founders of the right club, um, ourselves that we, we meet on a, on a consistent basis, do this podcast. Um, definitely sucks missing out on live events and having to, um, you know, to, to reschedule those and to postpone those. Um, but yeah, that, that's the other part of it is I think we, we are in a way prepared for it and have to be safe, but, uh, But that's a great kind of segue or great great lead into the conversation. The topic that we're having today is insurance, right? There's uh, different things, different things you can do. Now, obviously, there's not a COVID coronavirus or insurance that you can get. And, you know, probably there will be. Maybe that's one of the things that comes out of all this. Um, But uh, today, when we're talking with Ara Movsesian, um, he's with SafeBridge, and he talks about, you know, different insurance products and how you can actually use it as part of your portfolio not just the normal insurance that we think about on, you know, mortgage insurance and um, car insurance and life insurance and those types of things and how the wealthy and ultra wealthy uh, take those and actually use them as part of their portfolio and borrow against it. So it was a pretty, pretty interesting podcast. Very, very in depth. Ours is a very, very smart guy, MBA and uh, really, really helped us try to try to unpack all this kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, this is a great interview to learn a little bit more about you know unforeseen things and insurance that necessarily we're not always thinking about it in the forefront, but then eventually we are forced and have to think about it at some point.
2: Like you said, death and taxes are the two things that are sure in life. So, yep. let's, uh, let's let's listen to the interview.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Era Moscian. Welcome, welcome. We're uh, we're really excited to have you on. Uh, Sarah Mycos and and I are uh, really pumped to uh, to be discussing with you today. Welcome to the show.
0: Likewise, I'm excited myself. Thank you for having me.
1: Right, amazing. All right. So, Ara, right, you know we've uh, we've met a few times. You've been out at the Right Club. You you've come with some of your colleagues as well too. And you know, thank you for attending and being there as well too. But for those uh, for those members of the Right Club Nation that haven't had the chance to uh, to meet you, um, why don't you give us a little bit of background on uh, what you do what you have done what you are doing and uh yeah just a little bit of
0: insight yeah thanks a lot so uh a bit of background so if i go sort of uh back to sort of uh, earlier years teens etc i'd say i got quite immersed into sort of financial literacy and real estate investing pretty early in life my my father actually when he came to to Canada, one of the first things he did after sort of securing sort of day to day income from employment, et cetera, was uh, getting into real estate investing. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, that was an interesting sort of learning opportunity for me as a, as a teen. So I got into those just hearing these conversations around, you know, deducting interest and capital gains and all these interesting topics. So, um, I ended up uh, pursuing education and career in in finance and banking economics etc sort of uh, grew up in Vancouver uh, had a few jobs right after uh, economics degree at SFU and uh, in banking and the credit union system there uh, worked up through the ranks um, kind of got into account management to a high net worth book pretty early in my career like by the time I was uh, in my early twenties, I was already managing sort of some of the more affluent clients over in White Rock, BC. Um, moved to Toronto, um, uh, a little under 15 years ago. Uh, spent a couple of years, um, at one bank as a senior account manager, managing small business books. So I kind of transmit transitioned into business banking, then went over to business development bank for six and a half years. I was a senior account manager there. I managed uh, a lot of different real estate financing files that was some of them were quite complex and um, special usage properties and high ratio stuff etc. And a great great learning ground there. Got into um, a lot of interesting sort of uh, uh, situations there and and um, was kind of a resource for complex credits there. And then after that, I spent six years at uh, Manulife um, at Manulife Private Wealth. Um, while I had done uh, my year, when, while I was at um, uh, BDC I, I had the opportunity to uh, get my MBA at Western as well and uh, just sort of was also looking for the next thing. I ended up uh, being the first um, uh, senior private banker on a newly formed division there. and the clientele you know typically they either um, they were all high net worth of course and some of them ultra high net worth so just an amazing experience there. Um, really sort of spearheaded the growth there and clients either tended to have made it really big somewhere else and then they end up getting into real estate as part of their portfolio or even lending into real estate privately etc or they made it big as developers or or whatnot and had a bit of a real estate play there so just the overlap that I see in terms of um, the great work that you do and and, uh, the organization and um, the network uh, as well as sort of, um, the experience as to how much real estate, real estate investing plays in the high net worth space. Uh, it's quite interesting. So uh, what I did is about a year and a half ago, I uh, left my life private wealth. Um, I had sort of broken all historical sales records there and did a bunch of interesting things there, but uh, I'm now an independent advisor and my clientele tend to, um, tend to be in a couple of buckets, real estate, um, investors and developers and um, business owners tend to be the majority of my clients I offer a whole range of solutions everywhere anywhere ranging from uh, insurance uh, investments financing overall there's just an advice piece in the center of it um, uh, and and we can go a number of directions but there's some interesting strategies I get I get into which I'm sure we'll talk about
2: Awesome. So just so I understand, so essentially you work with these high net worth real estate investors um, to help them with their wealth solutions. Is
0: that correct? Yeah. So the, w- one of the primary areas that I will focus in is um, is insurance. And um, that's that's just to put sort of a name on on sort of one of the key areas. So we do get really involved in terms of taking a look at exposure to capital gains for real estate investors um, in the event of death. And that's sort of a really, really specific trigger that I think is is something that's often neglected in terms of an overall review um, and how it's it's planned for. Um, So that's really a key, key area to sort of start with in terms of a bit of a specialization in working with the real estate investor. there are other areas, including investing and, um, and financing that come up as well, where there's a lot of value and some of the, some of the things I can help with. But I think one of the key sort of focus areas and typically starting points is that capital gains dis- discussion, the protection discussion, the estate planning discussion, uh, and, and typically uh, solutions provided there are uh, in the insurance realm.
2: I see. Okay. So that's really interesting. I don't know if we've talked about that specific niche um, give us some ideas of you know as we 're getting um, our assets our real estate assets our, our net worth higher um, why is it important for us to, to do this type of planning
0: yeah that 's a really great question uh, what you 'll see is perhaps once there 's a nice uh, gain in the portfolio um, it's it 's a topic that um, requires a bit more attention uh, If you have property values at 15 million, let's say, and uh, a cost base of 5 million because you've made some great choices and you've created value, you've made some strategic purchases, you've held them for a long time, whatever the model is, um, even if it's not today, but it's sort of forecasted to hit those kind of numbers. What ends up happening is, you know, people have been making some great decisions in terms of generating this wealth and sort of, uh, I work a lot with this emerging wealth, sort of this this new generation of wealth. You're creating all the value, creating all this wealth. So this, it's so much in terms of the positive effect and what you can do for your legacy, your family, your self-sufficiency, your independence, um, sort of, it's wonderful. But often what is actually neglected is, if anything were to happen to the principal that owns these properties, as soon as you've got this nice big spread, it's not all just a rosy story about how much wealth is created because there's a liquidity event uh, in, the end, in the event of that, uh, that death. Um, the liquidity event is basically, you look at uh, your current market values, less your cost base. In that example, it's $10 million difference. It, upon death, uh, you will within 60 days have to pay CRA um, uh, the next generation who receives all these assets will have to pay. Um, it works out to about 27%, 26.75%. You look at 50% capital gains inclusion. And then on that you receive all that income as whoever has received it, next generation, et cetera, um, at the highest tax rate. So 53 and a half it works out to about just under 27%. So you would have to pay $2.7 million in that specific example and how do you do that you could have a fire sale on a property and sort of have that emergency state Um, that's not optimal you typically have properties that you've held on to that you want to keep them for their strategic um, uh, location cash flow other value to it you don't want to go through a fire sale a fire sale also destroys a lot of value that's being created right to have that quick quick liquidity event The other thing that you can do for it is you can park a bunch of cash. Well, we know that, for example, real estate investors will probably not want to park all that cash. you probably want that active. And it's just like burning a hole in your pocket. If it's it's sitting there, you just want to buy something, right, and make money. So it's just not realistic to say that that's necessarily going to happen or it's sort of forced. And it's very wasteful to do it that way. So then I get into sort of, okay, you you evaluate the terminal tax liability. There are other things that you can do planning-wise. I mean, you can avail of a spousal rollover. over. You can do an estate freeze. I won't be able to necessarily call, cover all that today. Um, and also, I, I should say that I work very closely with CPAs, lawyers, et cetera. So um, I can't sort of represent myself as the sort of the tax person here. I just have to put that disclaimer out there. I just work as in unison with these, these professionals with this important work. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, it tends to be insurance that is the winner in terms of the strategies when you look at the pros and cons of various ways of dicing it up. And there are strategies where you can get into insurance and have it as an asset class. It's, not a, it's, not a, it's just not an outflow that people traditionally view it as where um, it's just money out the door that they're sort of renting money. You can have permanent coverage. And permanent coverage is an asset. It is on your balance sheet. You know, you have uh, ABC hold co that has real estate holdings, investments, whatever it is, cash, you hold cash value in an insurance policy that is growing tax free. And it's also paid out upon death tax free. And you can also borrow against it at a hundred percent. So there's just all these mechanisms that the high net worth and the ultra high net worth with good advisory teams, um have in fact put in place several times in the country it's what i got exposed to previously it's what i sort of it's the message that i helped spread um and um it can get quite interesting in terms of some of the custom solutions
1: yeah and and i want to unpack that a little bit that the you went through there's a lot of a lot of things that i was keeping trying to keep notes and keep tabs (laughs) here so so basically if we're starting with you said approximately a 15 million Value of a of a portfolio. That's through all different types of strategies in real estate, and it costs us basically five million. There's a, there's an exposure, or there's there's a ten thousand, or sorry, ten million um, in in capital gains that essentially are being paid at some point, right? And that's at a point of a death. So, well, the first question I had that I wrote down or here, or if it
0: passes on, like anytime you transfer, yeah. so right? the
1: order. okay. So, are there any other examples besides like a death? that, you know, like if it is selling of a property or if it is liquidating, say to cash in, maybe you're moving that, that portfolio around so that you're still, your cost base maybe goes up to six or 7 million, but then your assets go up to 20, like that enacts that capital gains or that you could be protected in that case.
0: Yeah. So that example that I gave it, um, it it's, it's something where you could look at it and say, uh, this is what the holdings, we can talk about today, right? We can also talk about the trajectory for decades and decades and decades. So you're gonna have a different situation if you're an investor who is turning properties over every five years and there's, let's say, a turnover in your portfolio versus an investor who says, you know what, I've amassed these properties. And you know, property A, B, C, D, I just, I can't see getting rid of these. They're just producing great cash flow and. It's their wonderful properties, but maybe uh, DEFG is more of a short-term play. There's some value creation, et cetera. I want to reap the benefits. So I want to capitalize on that and move on and create money and use that money. The, the stuff that's turning over regularly, you are going to have some exposure to that upside because you've created value. A great example is the developer. So um, I've worked with several developers. They're very interesting in terms of their models. So, you will have gains where it's in the tens of millions, but it's not necessarily long-term in nature. It will turn over, right? You've got this, this land acquired, you've got a change of the, 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 the zoning, you've got approvals for whatever you're going to do on it. And you've created all this value right, right there. You've created a ton of value in those cases. We're talking about tens of millions, very large numbers. So there's exposure for that time being, And you don't necessarily forecast out and say, okay, today we've created $30 million of value, current market values versus cost base. Yeah. Over the next
1: 30 years years or 10 years or 15 years, right? Over that span.
0: So that example there, you may say, well, this is sort of a five-year cycle, 10-year cycle, three-year cycle, whatever cycle it is. But you're going to pay the taxes from all the gains during that cycle. And then you're gonna have a bit of a reset button again, if that makes sense. So it's different than, you know, I am holding on to, I've got my 15 million value today and my cost base of 5 million. At a 5% growth rate, let's say it doubles every 15 years. So that 15 million in value turns into 30 million in 15 years, that 30 turns into 60 in uh, 30 years, right? So if you're saying, okay, my life expectancy is about 30 years from now, and maybe it's me and my spouse, our spa- our expectancy is 30 years from now. You say, okay, what's 60 million? And I plan on holding on to all this stuff, right? I just don't, you never know what will happen, but I want to plan for those contingencies, right? I don't want my next generation to inherit some huge tax bill um, upon transfer. So those are the different permutations, if you will. All of this is mapped out in a ton of detail uh, in terms of the uh, analysis and spreadsheets and customized discussion for the client. Does that help?
2: Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see how it it can get complicated, but here's my question. So, you know, what if I want to avoid capital gains sooner while I'm still alive and, you know, By all means, if I can avoid it upon death, sure, but like what, how, like talk to me about when you said developments, that's like essentially my next big thing that I'm working on. So let's just say I want to look at that and might be a little bit shorter term. Um, How do I avoid paying the capital gains using maybe like you mentioned insurance or different options? Like what does that even look like? Or is that even possible?
0: Yeah, so, you know, I mean, look, this podcast would be worth about, uh, I don't know how many trillion dollars, if we can figure out uh, all the tools to sort of not pay taxes in this country. Um, but uh, all kidding aside, I think um, it, it, the reality is that there, I mean, I, I'm i sorry, I'm going to say it. It's so cliche. There are two two certainties in life, you know, death, death
2: and taxes, right? <laughs>
0: so, in terms of avoid avoiding Paying capital gains. I mean, if there is if there are legitimate gains and a ton of value created, um, you know, our taxes, our taxation environment gets their hands on it. Uh, I will again throw the disclaimer out there just to cover my basis that I'm not a CPA. Uh, you know, in terms of all the strategies that we can avail of, I, I can't speak to the whole plethora of it. And even if I could, I would um, I would sway away from that in terms of pro- providing tax advice. Um, I think that if you do look at the math and you say there are gains here, there's value created, the second part around doing, doing the sec- part two of the math is what is the best way of solving for it? That we can definitely um, talk about, right? Because um, you park cash, if you transfer that cash to the next generation, half of that gets taxed, it just goes away. So there's, a, there's just a ton of erosion of value there. Um, you use life insurance, that's something that is incredibly tax efficient. It is, you know, it grows tax-free and it's paid out tax-free. So then you start sort of comparing the various options. And then if you are having to pay taxes, um, any event that's triggered by death, at least, um, typically it's insurance, that's a a great way of dealing with it. Um, Sometimes you get involved in situations where you say, okay, you know, there's a lot of value here. I'm gonna pass on this value to the next generation. So you can get, you can take it off your hands and give it to the next generation at a certain value today and say, well, you know, it is 15 million versus 5 million base. There's 2.7 that does get paid today, but we've sort of, um, as of today's value, you sort of lock it in, it's 2.7 million. And then you're not exposed to that further upside. This is an estate-free strategy where you say, okay, now I'm gonna get coverage of 2.7 million upon my death down the road to settle that, right? And then you sort of lock it in and you mitigate it that way. But then the next generation is responsible for all that future growth. You've just kind of deferred it. I'm sorry, it's, you know, if
1: we get into tax. It's always coming. It's, it's always going to come and it always will. <laughs> but uh, but let, let, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. And Ara, <laughs> and I know we, we, we've had a bunch of good conversations and, and talked about different strategies, right? Between what you know, the general masses are doing and you know, high net worth and ultra high net worth type of people, right? And how they, they leverage credit and they use credit. And you know, at the time that we're talking about this, and I don't want to get into it too much, right? There's a lot of shift going on in markets in different areas of the world and things that are going on. But let's just kind of from a higher level, talk about the difference between and maybe explain the difference between that the general masses and, you know, net worth and high net worth people, how they use credit.
0: Yeah. So I can speak to the, the credit piece. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there are some interesting observations around um, some tools used by the ultra high net worth and the high net worth and overall strategies. When it, when it does come to credit, I would say that credit is absolutely viewed as, um, you know, when, when I started in private banking, um, we would say, you know, people think that the wealthy don't borrow for some reason, right? And it's it's completely the opposite. So uh, high net worth and ultra high net worth tend to use credit as a strategic um, uh, resource, right? So. If you can use cap, it's just such, I think anybody probably listening and, and, and with yourselves as well, it's just so intuitive now. It's so ingrained, right? I mean, if you can get access to capital at low interest rates, you get access to that capital, you know, you look at what your pool is of security that you have and what's available and even unsecured, right? And you look at sort of what you can put together, because if you can be, um, borrowing, say, at 3%, 4%, 5%, Three percent, four percent, five percent—whatever the number is—and you're making fifteen percent in terms of what you're what you're doing with your capital, and you're deducting the interest. Um, you want to do that all day, right? You—it's—it's—you uh, it's, it's, uh, you, you just expand your wealth that way. So, viewing uh, credit as a as a strategic uh, sort of uh, resource is something that I, I saw extensively. A lot of uh, sort of the borrowing at prime and then lending out into things like, uh, private mortgages, et cetera, uh, or into real estate projects or into the working capital, into a business or equity into another business as an investor, et cetera. And just making that spread, uh, it's a very basic fundamental, uh, principle. And I just think it's something that, that, um, that is somewhat reassuring in a way as well. Like if you're saying, you know, I'm going to take on some credit, the thing about, um, I I mean, you can't be uh, irresponsible about it. Uh, You really need to be seeing that there's uh, something with great return and you look at the risk reward. Um, But using credit strategically is something that um, has allowed the wealthy to become even wealthier and create more of a spread there uh, in terms of their returns versus their, their borrowing. So you look at your overall situation. It's so fun. it's so interesting because it comes up regularly. I actually had a conversation with somebody last week um uber wealthy um and wanted uh, to 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 finance a specific uh property. And the property is a little bit special in nature. Um it, that property on its own uh you know you're probably looking at 8 9% borrowing against that particular asset right? Then you look at it and you say, okay, you know, as somebody who's got a whole bunch of other assets, you would want to structure things such that you look at all the assets in their entirety, instead of project by project, um, you would say, what else, what do I have in my portfolio? Um, and how do we leverage it and what are the pros and cons of the different assets that we can use? Maybe you don't want to pledge the principal residence and that's just, there's a consideration around that you got to weigh the pros and cons and say okay that is a very, very cheap source of financing but the cons are that's the family home right so so it's just that more of a portfolio review of the the credit and the avail- what's available and and being advised properly on that um which which is an interesting opportunity
2: yeah no it, it is interesting i mean that's what a lot of people don't um don't do until maybe sometimes the end, right? So I was talking to my mortgage broker at one point, like if you have some money in your HELOCs and it's gonna cost you three and a half or 4% and you can loan it out at 15% or 12%, you know, figure out if it's worth doing um, to be more hands off and look at the spread. Like there's definitely a lot of options out there and it doesn't have to only be brick and mortar, real estate investing or paper assets. Like there's lots of options in between. Um, and uh, and the more that that I think the Right Club Nation listens to, to different guests on the podcast, they'll get some different ideas, uh, different strategies, different things that they can do with their money, their assets. Um, it is really interesting. So, give me an example of you know somebody that you recently worked with and uh, and you were able to really really help them, in what that looked like.
0: Yeah, that's a uh, that's a that's a great question. So I think that uh, it, it, there's uh, there's a couple of of examples that would work quite nicely. I think uh, one of them in particular, I've got uh, a business owner um, who also got into real estate investing. So they started off sort of with their own owner occupied building as a, as a business owner, very modest sort of small startup business. Um, And then from there um, they got into, uh, they got into a larger building. They just expanded from where they were ended up uh, leasing out the property that they were at previously. It's an industrial building um, and got into a larger one, created a ton of value there. They did a bunch of renovations, made it beautiful. They're uh, a nice uptick in terms of their cost versus what they the market value is now. And then they continued to rent the previous building. By the way, the previous building started at a certain size and then they acquired the one next to it. Um, so they were rented, they're renting both of those out. They've got some stuff going on on the residential side as well in terms of purchase and renting, um, renting those out. So they've got a nice little portfolio going there. Uh, a couple in their 40s. Um, so it did quite well. The business expanded, the business is doing well, and there's, they've created some value there. Um, so I came in and basically said, Let's take a look at how you're structured overall. I want to talk about this capital gains topic because I think it's something to plan for. Um, I also want to look at overall how you're structured. Um, some things came about from that. I got some additional work done through my network in terms of legal, uh, work and succession planning and things like that. That were some observations that really were needed for more of an operational thing. And, and, and on the real estate side, they planned on continuing and just growing this further. Nobody, what's interesting is I've seen this with this client and I've seen it with clients that are literally, literally, Worth a hundred million plus. Okay, just to tell you how often this capital gains discussion and how to plan for it does not get addressed. It didn't. It hasn't been talked about previously with these folks. I sort of shed the light on this whole topic and then brought in their accountant. We had several sessions with the accountant and the client. We mapped that all out. Um, believe it or not, you know, people worth a hundred million, but with assets of a hundred million plus, have not really optimized they've planned for this. Um, It's it's just shocking how infrequently it's done in terms of the thorough the thorough version of it. So at the end of the day what we ended up structuring is um, they would um, they would deposit three hundred thousand a year into uh, permanent insurance over ten years to plan for this terminal tax liability that's at a certain level today and growing over the years. And this is just the amount that's required to plan for about the next 20 years or so. And um, it does cover off after that, potentially if they keep depositing into it, but um, you know, some 15 years from now they may do an estate freeze or other things like that. What we did is we cycled money in. So they would put a 300,000 a year in to, uh, to deposits and that's going to show uh, on their balance sheet. So 10 years from now, if you do look at 3 million in deposits, they'll have cash value on their balance sheet worth more than 3 million, okay? So that it, it, there's an asset, it's not just an outflow, there's an asset on their balance sheet. They're borrowing back against that 300,000 a year. What they're doing is they're investing that 300,000 a year. They're either on an annual basis, they're either gonna get into additional real estate or passive investments, like uh, an investment portfolio that's managed with the uh, private investment council firm and maybe even some other stuff, exempt market stuff, et cetera, that are, again, dabbling in real estate and other projects, et cetera. So what they're doing is they're creating that cycle. So 300000 in and 300000 back out, borrowing at prime rate, okay, and then reinvesting and deducting the interest. So you do math on this over a 30 year period, the net effect is the outflow is about 400,000 or so. um, And the return uh, in the event of uh, death is in the 5 million range in this case, right? So just in terms of inflow versus outflow, it's a very nice model here, right? And then they just walk around with peace of mind, knowing that they cleaned up all their stuff for the next generation who would inherit all this stuff that continues to grow. Um, but overall, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful story because there's just so many different points of, uh, of advice and here. Uh, we covered off everything ranging from financing to sort of succession planning and uh, estate planning, uh, protection and, and coverage, and also just their investment strategy and even sort of uh, navigating that. So there just, uh, there's a very, Close and deep relationship there that covers a number of a number of areas.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. And and it always it always seems like it, it's when you're looking at that. It, it sometimes feels like it is too late, you know. And as we we investors start talking about our portfolios, and when we first started investing, and then we learn more information, and we know that we there are other brokers and other people and other avenues that are better, and sometimes have to kind of, um, reprocess or relook at how our portfolio as it's constantly growing and changing. Right. So I think that's a kind of a good way that you can kind of look at the whole picture and to see really what, um, what they're trying to achieve, what the goals are. And now when they're able to reinvest that as well, too, that's a, it's a great opportunity and a great, uh, a great program. So, you know, I, I want one last question before we start getting, uh, going with our, with our lightning round. And you, just cause you, you mentioned some of the background that you had, you know, and you hear these things like, Oh, well, diversify your portfolio. And that's what a lot of you know, us in the real estate world here, right? Oh, you're just so, you're so focused on real estate. You're just so real estate. And you know, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, high net worth, ultra net worth, real estate does play a big part in it, but we all agree real estate's the best. It's the, it's awesome. You should always reinvest in it. But if there was a second place or if you couldn't invest into real estate, where, where would you go? Like there's mutual funds, there's stocks, there's bonds, there's all different types of things, but maybe just touch upon on on one of those where you, you see this high net worth or ultra high net worth kind of also investing in as well.
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, look, I, I, am a, I am a proponent of real estate as a very significant part of the portfolio. I think that overall, I would say whether it's real estate or your operating business, this is something that happens quite frequently, by the way. You have all your eggs in that basket. It's just an opportunity to say, you know, um, how do I feel about having all of my eggs in a certain bas- basket? It's just a fundamental exercise around um, risk management and uh, peace of mind. So really, I mean, the the wonderful thing about real estate is you can touch and feel it and see it. And you know that it's there, right? If you compare that to um, equities, right? I mean, yes, there are these big public companies, you can see them. Uh, They have physical bricks and mortar presence in some cases, but a lot of it is on uh, on the value and, and multiples and sort of what's interesting about the marketplace is how much emotion, um and um uh, political environment uh technological advance like so so many factors out there right i mean you literally have teams of phds mbas cfas so the brightest minds on the planet sort of just constantly evaluating asset classes uh volatility how to how to construct portfolios so i think that once you uh You overemphasize one area to the point where it's all of your eggs in that basket. The other areas that you could get into are having some form of uh, uh, a diversified portfolio that does cover off other asset classes. Okay. I'm not uh, personally an investment counselor, so I have to be cautious about that, but I do have some phenomenal relationships uh with private investment councils and other external investment firms that i work closely with uh, and refer my clients to and jointly sort of interview them and bring them in and what you'll see in the high net worth space is okay you've got some you've got a portfolio where your your goal is not to shoot the lights out with that portfolio maybe you make your high return in some of your uh, real estate value add maybe you're a developer whatever your model is Or maybe you're a business owner, you've got a certain tech business or whatever type of business, you create created a ton of value there. And then the value that you've created, instead of keeping it all in that basket, you say, okay, some of the chips, I'm just going to take it off the table. And I'm just going to put it somewhere else and have it professionally managed, right? And it's not about hitting crazy returns. It's about preserving my capital, which is so important. And it's so topical today. Uh, One of the areas that's rebalancing, right? yeah it's just sort of like you know it's really people talk about how you know their return is super sexy and cool or whatever because it's better than the next person and then in a downswing it's actually really sexy to just not lose money right like or lose less than people next to you that's becomes really really interesting then right and uh and and, and i think that um you know, we talk about returns and funds and things like that. I think that uh, having it professionally managed with the capital preservation mandate for some of the chips off the table money is one thing that's an opportunity, but the other that is really just phenomenal. And I really need to talk about it because it's not well known enough um, is in fact, permanent insurance as an asset class. Okay. So permanent insurance as an asset class, right. I mean, I bring up insurance again, you know, like not sexy, right? But like it is. Yeah,
2: you're right. Not sexy. Not but sexy. It's but, no unnecessary evil in a way.
0: Yeah. But if you actually look at it and you say, okay, this client that, um, for example, over 10 years time is putting 3 million into uh, permanent insurance. Um, standard deviation is less than 1%. Okay. So when we talk okay, about. Hang on,
2: hang on. Because like let's um you got an MBA you're super smart okay um, I'm not as smart as you you're smart let's let's like make it like language I can understand no problem. <laughs> Okay.
0: so so if you look at you see how the markets went down by more than 30 percent and these big swings yeah. that you right um and then you just sort of look at what the equities market will do like it's basically you know it's it's bouncing it's and you ride it out, uh, and if you just sort of look at the long term, you say, okay, this averaged out, this worked out to about six percent per annum, or whatever the number works out to be, right? So imagine having that same six percent per annum performance, but instead of being on a roller coaster, you're kind of like this, like that's your path.
2: So for those people listening to this, it's less going up and down with a finger and more consistent increase.
1: Yes. It's like Amsterdam. I think Amsterdam, the highest peak is 300 meters, right? And like the lowest depth is like maybe 150, 200 below sea level, right? So it's very even versus say like, I don't know, like the Alps, right? Where there's very high peaks and valleys.
0: I'll give you a very tangible example. It should, this should hit home. Okay. So imagine uh, an investment where um, you're making, call it 6%. Okay. And um, that is a tax-free 6%. So it's kind of like the equivalent of fixed income at 12%. Okay. Like a GIC making 12% cause it's, it's, it's yeah. fixed income type security. Okay. The other thing is the volatility is lower. Volatility is like the roller coaster, right? My finger going up and down. It's lower than a five-year GIC that just keeps turning over. That's what permanent insurance is as an investment vehicle. Well, no, that,
1: that is enlightening and it just proves the point of why we, we bring on amazing guests like yourself that help explain this. And And I think we're going to have to talk about this again as well too and and you keep coming out to to the to the right club and and it is because it is so important and I know we talked about the two guarantees death and taxes but you know in different types of insurance is another one right try to tell people you're not going to pay your car insurance well you have to pay that as well too is it's now how we're using insurance like you said you know as an asset versus looking at it as an expense and making it part of a bigger picture and I know everybody's trying to look for that golden bullet and I'm trying to you know, put you in a corner and give you what else should we invest in and give you that. And it is really topical and um, to, to, to really find out what's personally uh, important to you, right? For the long term, for the short term, just how there's different boats, there's tug boats, and then there's speed boats, right? So um, having you know, the pontoon boat. Oh, and the pontoon on boat. Here.
2: That's like my, <laughs> my future boat that I'm planning on getting and the
1: here, pontoon getting boat, <laughs> right? It gets you safe to one side of the lake or now You can fish, you can hold your you know, your, uh, your vodka mixes in the can. Right. But then, you know, you have speed boats that you're going to lock in and you're going to strap in. Right. And then you have like your paddle boats. So you're going to get, you're going to have those different, you know, boats, I guess if you want to really relate this back to what we're talking about, but you're going to
2: relate to- it back to boating, but that's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I am trying, I'm trying to make a relation of why you would, why, why, how you diversify and you, you hear the buzzwords and diversify and do different things and six and eight and 10, but really it's painting that full picture yeah. right, of, of what you got to do. At the end of the day, you got to get to the <laughs> other side Hacks. of the lake, right? And that's why you need different boats at different times. Not there different
2: you go. boats, different times. And uh, you know, it's, I, we love real estate, but it's not only real estate that needs to be in your, in your portfolio. Yeah. Awesome. So on that note, uh, next part of the podcast, Ara, is our lightning round. So Alfonso and I will take turns asking you questions. Are you ready to play?
0: I think so.
2: (laughs) All right. And
0: now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors.
2: Hey, Right Club Nation, I just wanted to take a quick moment. Here is Sarah Larby and I'm here with Laurel Simmons and we have some really exciting news for you. And we heard you, we heard your emails and we are going to be bringing you Right Club Nation, online, coast to coast, accessible at any time of day. And you can be in your pajamas like I am right now, and you can access our great content. And what is going to be that content, Laurel?
0: Well, we have videos, recordings of live events that we've held. We have webinars. We'll have our podcast information up there. We'll have forums and chat groups and all kinds of things. You'll even be able to find services and products that you need in your neighborhood, local, for you, because we know how important it is that you have your local team with you. We're going to be rolling things out very quickly, and as we start, you'll see more and more stuff come along, and we really want you to join and become part of
2: our online community. Absolutely. This is the first, and in my opinion, it was going to be the best canadian online community of real estate investors and like-minded individuals so guys come and grow with us join our online community register and come and say hi and check out the amazing things
0: yeah and all you have to do is go to the and you'll find us there it's easy to register it's free and hop on we can't wait to see you there
2: guys come and grow with us
1: and now back to the show
2: Question number one, what is the best advice that you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event?
0: Okay, so best uh, advice I've ever received from uh, an investor or a networking event. So I would say um, best I've ever received is to just always be learning. That's probably the best advice I've I've ever, ever received. And it sounds so incredibly simple, but you'd be amazed how many times people sort of get stuck in their silo, what they know, what they're comfortable with. And they just regurgitate it, right? And they just go through the cycle. So literally just approaching all of the meetings that I go to I'm with an open mind. Um, when you're learning more and more and more, you can also impact people around you more significantly as well. Because if your mind is open versus closed, um, you're always expanding. And there's no limit to that, right? I mean, it's, it sounds very straightforward, but I think you need to take that advice to heart and live it.
1: That's great. And that's a big part of what we do at the right club and why we love our right club nation is they're always trying to be, they're always going to be learning. And, and, and I'm, uh, I'm really happy that, you know, they're learning a lot more from you today. So, um, question number two of the lightning round, what is your favorite real estate investing resource? And that could be anything, you know, book, training, an event.
0: Yeah. So I would say real estate investing resource. I, I would say, um, I would say peers, um, I don't know if that's a fair answer. Does that, does that work? But, um, Great answer. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, I mean, literally people with experience, right? Like that is the ultimate um, uh, resource. Um, you know, I, I, you can read the books, you can, you can go to sort of different tools, etc. But I think that uh, there's something about personal uh, relationships and stories that, uh, that trumps all of that, right? So people who have stories, you know, this is what I did. Um, this is what worked for me. Um, so I think, I think people.
2: Very cool. There you go. Surround yourself with, uh, with others that are going to help lift you to where you want to go. Next question. What is the one attribute that has made you most successful?
0: Wow. That's a really good one. So I would say that definitely, uh, a lot of, um, uh, sort of vision, perseverance and determination. Um, yeah, I think that if, if you look at sort of history, even, you know, I joined at Manulife private wealth, there were zero clients and zero sales and I sort of had a vision of what that should look like and, um, what should resonate in the marketplace. And, you know, if you look at year one, that was relatively slow and then it just absolutely took off like crazy. Right. So you've got to have a lot of confidence and, um, and, and, and a path and a vision, Um, you have to be able to pivot along the way, but I I think that um, it it does take a lot of follow-through and determination and uh, sort of some long-term thinking. Sometimes you plant seeds a certain way and you repeat a message a certain way and um, it might not get you something immediate, right? But if you're building something more long-term in nature, you have to have that vision and that follow-through and that determination. Um, And that's something that I saw from the prior role that for that and the current uh role that i'm in um just in terms of uh, of, of, of building a plan and just being very determined and falling through with it absolutely and, and knowing what that target
1: is and keeps you going right so awesome all right last question of the lightning round on a typical sunday morning what are you up to <laughs>
0: Okay, so it will, uh, it will definitely start off with uh, coffee and eggs. Sorry, I mean, that's what I do. Um, the Sundays, I don't, I don't always uh, do my 10 minutes of, uh, of meditation. I sometimes just uh, lounge with the fam and, uh, and don't do it on Sundays. But I would say during the week, it, that's, that's part of my routine. Um, I, so after that, it's uh, really all about family. Like Sunday is my rest day. I'm working so hard during the week through sort of um, a combination of, you know, meetings, being really focused, providing solutions, coming up with solutions, analyzing things. Um, It's not a grind. It's just, you know, I'm really occupied with every sort of, my mind is occupied with the cases that I'm working on. Um, And I love it. So, and there, like six days a week. There's some form of, you know, intense, activity and exercise and working out and extracurricular stuff. Sunday is uh, a rest day for me. So I, I kind of wish you picked a different day, but.
2: <laughs> we pick Sunday because it usually is a day that people are not like going at it and, and uh, working. And so we like to know what people do, you know, other than, than work. And Sunday morning is usually that day.
0: Yeah. You know what? It is family time. I take the kids to extracurricular stuff, whether it's gymnastics or other stuff. Uh, i i enjoy my big screen downstairs and uh, put something on uh sometimes it'll involve some light sort of martial arts or stuff like that or stretching um uh, but not like a really intense day and it's a yeah it's it's a relaxing day
2: very cool awesome (laughs) ara where can the right club nation find out more about you or reach out if they
0: wanted to yeah so um you can see my full sort of bio and um a link to my profile on the uh, SafeBridge Financial website. If you look up my name, uh, R.M. Obsession, as one of the individuals there, um, and um, uh, hopefully you guys can help me out with sharing a link too, because uh,
2: you will uh, add it in the show notes.
0: It's all there, and um, uh, yeah, so that would be that would be the best way. It's the SafeBridge Financial um, uh, link um it's and um it's got me and i'm able to be contacted there and um definitely um other than that through linkedin and um uh, under my name awesome well
1: thank you so much for for your time today we really enjoyed the podcast and uh yeah thank you so much for sharing with the right club nation on behalf of sarah thanks so much for joining today Ara.
0: thank you
2: thank you you know that was really insightful alfonso and i really liked personally the different strategies that he uses uh, for high net worth individuals and people that are really looking at diversifying. And I know we talk a lot about real estate, but there's other ways that you can strategically plan for the future.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about all the different members on the power team and all the amazing sponsors of, of the right club and people that we partner with. And, you know, this is just another element and another part of the team that, you know, you should look into and really, take a look at and assess that right so everybody's situation is different uh, in terms of you know insurance and all the different things that you need to have around that so definitely when he talks about you know reaching out to different peoples on his power team um that that's a really makes more of an impact kind of a whole look at the whole portfolio we love real estate i'm always going to be investing in real estate finding more real estate you know um but in in moments like this as well too when we talk about what else should we be looking in how can we you know, have somebody else one day, I want to be just lending out the money and somebody else doing all the really the work on it, right? Sipping um, versus... a
2: margarita on the beach, while okay. your money is actively actually passively earning more money for you. So that's, uh, that's the ultimate goal, right? So I mean, for some of us, not for everyone, some other people have lots of different goals. But you know, what's really cool is, um, is the freedom that it creates, But it's also important to look at the bad, look at the the good, um, look at the good times, and look at these times where it's very uncertain. Plan for both eventualities, and in some way, at some point in time, you will get to your goals of where you wanna be.
1: You got it, you got it, Sarah. And that's what we're about, The Right Club. We want you to, to participate, we wanna hear about you, we wanna hear your situations, we wanna hear your feedback. Reach out to us as we do more and more stuff online through Facebook and through our online community. Uh, we want to definitely hear from you and have the different takes on it. Everybody's looking at it from a different uh, point of view, right? Uh, you know, Sarah and your business and, and, and Jag and our business and different things that we're looking at, right? We're all affected by this in some way or some form, the same way that we're on on the uprise. And when we're all learning from each other and teaching each other and, and sharing experiences, uh, we have to do that on the way down as well, too. And remember um, that it is going to be okay and that we're going to pull through. So, uh, yeah, Sarah. It's
2: like, There's always cycles, right?
1: You got it. You got it, Sarah. I can't thank you enough and appreciate you and everything that you do for the right club amongst all, all the other amazing things that you do for you for, too, um, buddy. You too. Work. But well, thank you, Sarah. And uh, yeah, right club nation. Make sure you visit the website. It's uh, the rightclub.com. Uh Please. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you can give some feedback and your rate and review the podcast, we really appreciate it, it helps Uh, other people find us as well too. So until next podcast, Sarah, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next time. Right club.
2: Right club nation. Come grow with us.
1: Thanks for listening to the right club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at the right where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.